In the name of Jesus, amen. So the first commandment is about the heart. Our heart longs after things as if they were our gods. And this is why God had said, you shall have no other gods before me. That is, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So this is the first and the greatest commandment. If you keep this one commandment, then you will keep them all. Now, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are divided into two tables. The first uh, table commands what we should and shouldn't do when it comes to God. And then the second table commands what we should and shouldn't do with regard to our neighbor. So in the law of God, there is both a vertical realm and then also a horizontal realm. So your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. And so the way the commandments are divided is that on the first table, regarding your relationship with God, are the first three commandments. And then on the second table, regarding your relationship with one another, are the last seven commandments. So last week we meditated upon the first commandment of the first table. And today we're going to finish meditating on this first table of the law. And we're going to consider the last, the, the last two commandments of this first table. That's the second and third commandment. So the first commandment requires that you devote your heart to God. But the second and third commandments require that you devote your mouth and your ears to God. So first, we'll take up the second commandment. The second commandment says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is about the tongue and the mouth. Or as some of you might have learned it growing up, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So our tongues are to be devoted to him. So how do you devote your tongue to God? One, the first way is by not cursing. Our culture has fallen into the bad habit of swearing and thinking little of it. Cursing is not only indecent and inappropriate, but it is wrong and disgusting because it calls to mind images that shouldn't otherwise be there. It puts into the heart things that we shouldn't be thinking about. So how quickly do we blurt out curses when we stub our toe or something tragic happens? And the tongue is the hardest thing to curb because often before we can think, we've already blurted it out. We've already said it. Our heart jumps to these things. It's the hardest part of the body to control. And sadly, people use their tongues more than their ears. They talk more than listen. Even more, within this commandment, we're not to swear in the name of God. And so we hear this often when someone is trying to prove the truth, saying, I swear to God it happened, or uh, something of this nature. And the truth is, you shouldn't speak like this as Christians. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And that's sufficient in and of itself. So don't ruin your reputation by being a liar. Just speak the truth and be honest. And then another way that we misuse the name of the Lord or God is with satanic arts. And so we may not use satanic arts per se, but oftentimes we simply overlook it when others do. And so we often downplay wicked games. Or we, this happens when parents let their children use Ouija boards or mess around with the occult as if it's just simply child's play. But it's more than that. And then later they're shocked that they leave the church or something tragic happens. 
Other times, we let our children entertain themselves with demonic books or movies or teachings and games. And we think little of these things because we either believe, one, that the devil isn't really as powerful as we think he is, or that his threats and lies are nothing to worry about. So worse than all of these things, as bad as all of these things are, worse than all of them is lying and deceiving by the name of God. And this happens when we tell other people things that God himself has not said of himself. It's called false doctrine. It happens when we don't care about theology or God's word as much as we should. We downplay the study of God's word as if it were simply irrelevant information or as if Christianity were an exercise in memorizing a huge list of facts and following a bunch of rules, checking them off. And when we misrepresent God in our confession to others, we're, we're, we're breaking that second commandment. So this is what is condemned in the second commandment. And then now we're going to move to the third commandment and see what that says. And this is the commandment, not about the tongue, but about your ears and what your ears should be devoted to. The reason we can't keep the second commandment is because we're not very good at keeping the third commandment. The reason we can't control our tongue very well is because we devote our ears to things uh, that, that they shouldn't be devoted to. So the third commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear it and learn it. Not begrudgingly, not uh, uh, with complacency, but joyfully hearing the word of God. So this is a command for your ears, your mind, for your attention. The reason we often use God's name in vain is because we don't hear his word rightly. We don't know how to call upon him. We close our ears to what he said. We despise preaching and his word. So regarding this despising of the preaching and the word, there's two ways to despise it. And the first way is the way of the world. It's the very obvious way. The world calls God's word a myth, a story or a fable, just an old, really old literature book uh, on the same level of Shakespeare or whatever other work you might want. And the Bible is just a, a, a book with, with weird stories that maybe somebody can make sense of. And so they mock the Bible, they mock church, and they despise it in word and deed. So that's the first way to despise preaching in the word is obviously. But the second way to despise the word is not the way of the world, but the way of the hypocrite. And that is to call yourself a Christian, to say you love God, to say you abide with him, but then never show up to where he is, that is church has never listened to him, that is, read his word. Some say that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Those who say this are wrong. It does make you a Christian. Going to church makes you a Christian and it keeps you a Christian. Because the church preaches God's word day in and day out, and the one thing that makes people Christians is the word of God. And so to go to the place where that word is preached is precisely where Christians are made. They're made at the font. They're made in the sermon. They're made at the altar. Jesus himself plainly says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you don't abide in the word, then you aren't truly his disciples. It's very straightforward. Those who don't go to church don't hear the word. 
And I'm not talking about those who are shut-ins or those who are homebound, who are incapable of coming. But those who are fully capable but deliberately choose not to or have found something else to be more important. They forget the day of the Lord and they don't remember it or, or keep it holy or gladly learn it. And so this is the miserable state of our culture. Uh, sadly, we've seen this all around us when parents allow their children to choose church. Uh, when they do this, they're really forsaking their children. Uh, parents should know better. Parents choose their ch children's food. They choose their children's clothing and beha their behavior, their books, their movies, and the schools for their children. If, and if we choose all of these other things, should we not also choose the most important thing, the one thing that is needful and necessary for eternal life? Of course. And some might say, look, I, I don't want to force my child to go to church. It might repel them. I want them to go because they want to. Well, if you try that with anything else, just see what comes of it and what the consequence is. Do children want to brush their teeth? Do they want to treat others nicely? Do they want to share toys? Do they want to eat fruits and vegetables? Do they want to do the right thing? No, but they should be told to do so and they should be instructed. So how foolish it is when we despise God's word, not only for ourselves, but also to, uh, for those whom God has entrusted to us. See, it's a very truthful and sobering fact that if you allow your children to choose church, sooner or later you'll find out that they won't. This will not be their choice. They will become utterly apathetic to the word of God. If you don't bring them up in the faith, you'll train them to depart from the faith. And this is uh, all, all because of Psalm 51. And we learn here very clearly that uh, we're born in sin and iniquity. The heart, is, since corruption, hates the things of God. It doesn't care for what he says. So, so consider this. It's no surprise that my generation, the one that I'm coming out of, the millennial generation, and now the generation after me, the, the generation Z, are one of the most godless and unbelieving generations in existence right now, statistically speaking. We grew up with a dumbing down of theology, a dumbing down and frivolity in the service, singing songs and sermons, and hearing sermons with little to no substance. And there was the trend of churches in, in America during our time of youth. And now we see the consequences of this slowly uh, removing the word of God from churches as a generation is now despising the word of God and everything he's made. The point here of the third commandment is not to skip church, not to skip the Sabbath day, because you will fall away, and those around you will also. See, God created our hearts, our mouths, and our ears. He owns them. He has the right to demand them back. He has the right to command us to fix them upon him. The truth is we don't. So oftentimes we don't dedicate our ears to his word or our mouths to speaking the truth and good or our hearts to him. And what's the solution? The solution to all of this is Lent. The solution to all of this is Christ's suffering, his passion and his death. His bitter suffering is the only solution to our folly to our error, to our pride, our stubbornness, and all of our sin. 
How wicked and evil it is for us to use God's name in vain and call ourselves his children, yet acting like we don't even have him as our father. How wrong and evil it is to despise the preaching of his word that he has gone through such great lengths to get to us, to preserve his word to this day so that we would hear how much he loves us. Yet Jesus came to die for all of the times we've forgotten him. He came to sanctify and justify us. He came to suffer the punishment and the wrath of God against all of the sin that we've spoken with our tongue, against all of the evil things we've heard with our ears, against all of the times we've been inattentive and completely apathetic and hostile to what he says. Christ not only let his mouth speak, Christ not only didn't let his mouth speak evil, but he was also incapable of ever using God's name in vain. He was incapable of allowing his mind to wander and be inattentive from the word of God for a second. And why is this? Because God gave him the desires of his heart. Christ's heart is pure and holy. Therefore, his ears and his mouth followed. Even while he was being slaughtered on the cross, he didn't open his mouth in anger against God. Even while God covered his ears to the cries of, of, of Christ's uh, pleas for mercy, Christ didn't shut his ears to the Father once. Christ's perfect and holy faithfulness and obedience are given to you today entirely in his word. So during this time of Lent and today, wake up and repent and pay attention to this word. Thank God with your mouth that he has been so gracious and kind to you that he hasn't given you what you deserve, that he's given you what Christ has earned. So live as a Christian, as a little Christ. If you reject anything, reject sin. If you forget anything, forget the sins of others. But if you imitate anyone, imitate Christ. Christ has not only suffered our punishment for these sins, but he's forgiven them and he's fulfilled every single command perfectly in thought, word, deed, and desire and attributes it to you as if you were the one who did it. So when the Father looks down from heaven into your heart, he sees Christ. When he looks at your ears, he sees the ears of Christ that didn't let anything defile them. When he sees your mouth, he sees the holy and perfect mouth of Christ that uttered no evil or blasphemy or false doctrine. And this is what you are already now in Christ. So do this in faith. Though these commandments forbid us from doing what the devil would have us do, they also teach us what God would have us do. So they not only prohibit a specific behavior in life, but they give us and they teach us and they instruct us in a new life. A life of humility and obedience to his word. So instead of using God's name in vain... Call upon him rightly. Pray. Praise him. Give thanks for everything you have. Whenever you see tragedy and problems, make the sign of the cross on yourself and remind yourself that you were baptized into Christ and that the greatest harm will not befall you. When you see evil things happen around you, say, Lord, have mercy upon us. And teach your children to do the same. When you watch the news and when you witness horrible things and accidents, Teach your children to ask for God's help and you ask for his help right in that moment. Make it a habit. Do, do it quickly. And teach your children to come to church with you and sit in the pew and sing hymns. Teach them to sing the psalms and sing uh, hymns and spiritual songs to them. Don't be content with them passively sitting, but instruct them, show them. 
Teach them real hymns. Teach them how to sing theology. Show them how to pay attention in church. Talk to them about the sermon. Pray with them each night. Read the word of God together. If it's alone with your spouse or with your whole family. Husbands, teach your wives theology. And fathers, make your family sit down and talk about God's word. Teach them the catechism. Read actual theological books and papers and articles, even if it's hard to understand at first. In time, God will bless your effort, and then he'll give you the wisdom and the knowledge to understand it. Go to church, and when you finally made it to church, then force yourself to pay attention. The sermon and the readings aren't just information or just another reading like no other. It's authoritative. It's giving you something. It's proclaiming. It's bestowing on you something you didn't have before. God is talking to you this very second. So pay attention to it. And devote yourself to this word that will be your judge on that final day. And always remember that the Bible isn't some stuffy book for theologians and seminarians and pastors. Theology isn't just something we talk about in an ivory tower or locked up in a room somewhere. Theology is life. It's what you talk about, what you breathe in and breathe out. The Bible is for you, so read it. Memorize God's word and go to church. Do all the things that Christ did. Imitate him. And when you fail to do these things, don't beat yourself up. Don't condemn yourself. Just repent. Ask for God's forgiveness and then try again. And get up and dust yourself off and do it again. The Proverbs say, a righteous man falls seven times, but he stands up again. So don't go too long without reading God's word or singing a faithful hymn. And wives, when your husbands fail and forget to lead your family in devotions, when they forget to, 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 to teach you uh, what was in church, when they, when they forget to talk to you about theology, don't condemn him. Encourage him to be the head of his family again and be the pastor of your home. Be a good example to your husband, wives. And show your husband what a pious and godly wife you are, that you seek his leadership. You seek for him to be like Christ is. And children, when your parents fail, don't throw it in their face. Honor them. Encourage them. Ask them to pray with you and ask them to teach you God's word and do all of it together. And none of this is a competition. God has called you to bear with one another's burdens and cover each other's faults with love. So live peaceably with one another, making your life revolve around his word. Make God the desire of your heart and put your faith in him. Devote your tongue to speaking his praise and praying to him. And dedicate your ears to hearing good, truthful, good, and holy things. Do all of it not to earn salvation. It's not why they were given, but because Christ has already blessed you with it. He has already given you salvation. So live as his child. Live according to his commands out of thanksgiving for his unending and undying love for you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.